بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وسلم تسليما Respected listeners, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We continue with the theme of hypocrisy and the traits of hypocrisy and the munafiqun, the hypocrites. Previously, I explained the beginning verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. And this set of verses is the first set of verses in the Quran that deals, that, uh, that deals with the topic of the hypocrites and hypocrisy. So I've concluded that, and as promised, inshallah, I'll continue to select different verses from the Qur'an which deal with this topic and comment on them in the hope that we can identify the traits and the characteristics of hypocrisy as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has defined them so that we may be wary of such traits and try to eradicate them from our character if we find any trace of them in us. So the next set of verses, there are quite a few verses of the Holy Qur'an that deal with the munafiqun and not all of them are necessarily suitable for discussion here. But Another set of verses which deal with the traits of hypocrisy. I say they are unsuitable because they are quite detailed and multifaceted and have many of the topics entwined with them. For instance, uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the behavior of the munafiqun, <coughs> the hypocrites, at the time of the changing of the qibla. So that is another set of verses, but it's not exclusively to do with the traits of hypocrisy. Rather, it's a very lengthy discussion about the changing of the Qibla. And uh, there was opposition, there was confusion, and many other things. And the part that the hypocrites played was also one part, but it wasn't the only and main part. But... Another set of verses which exclusively deals with the traits of hypocrisy is a set of verses in Surah Al-Baqarah again, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مِنْ يُعْجِبُكَ قَوْلُهُ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ وَهُوَ أَلَدُّ الْخِصَامِ وَإِذَا تَوَلَّا سَعَى فِي الْأَرْضِ لِيُفْسِدَ فِيهَا وَيُهْلِكَ الْحَرْثَ وَالنَّسْلِ وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهَ أَخْذَتْهُ الْعِزَّةُ بِالْإِثْمِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمُ وَلَبِئْسَ الْمِهَادِ وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ بِتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ 
Allahu ra'ufun bil ibad. Allah says, <coughs> and of the people, there is one, the wording is singular, it's not plural, so it identifies one person. So, ومن الناس من يعجبك قوله في الحياة الدنيا. That of the people, there is one whose words, whose speech, please pleases you in the worldly life. ويشهد الله على ما في قلبه. And he makes Allah a witness over what's in his heart. وهو ألد الخصام. And he is the most contentious and vehement of the opposers, of the opponents, of the adversaries. And before I continue, who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking of? Many ulama say that this verse was originally revealed about one of the leaders of the hypocrites. Again, someone like Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, not him, but another one. Some say it was revealed about Al-Akhnus ibn Shariq, someone who was wealthy, powerful, influential, but who opposed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but at the same time pretended to be a carer, a friend, a sympathizer to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But like many verses of the Qur'an, even though a verse may have been revealed about one hypocrite or a group of hypocrites, what concerns us is the traits mentioned therein that we should be aware of and that we should be fearful of. And this is why the ulama always say that in, throughout the Qur'an, although verses were revealed at times, not always, but verses were revealed after, on a particular occasion regarding one particular individual, after one specific incident or event, that may have happened, but the lessons are eternal and universal. <coughs> so similarly here what concerns us is the characteristics and the traits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in these verses and this is why the ulama say this verse is relevant and applicable to every hypocrite to every individual who behaves in this manner so and of the people there is one whose speech pleases you, impresses you. So going back to the time of Rasulullah originally the person who is being addressed is the messenger of Allah that of the people around you, there are those or there is someone specifically who comes to you, speaks to you and he is so charming, so convincing so eloquent that his speech, his words, 
impress even you, O Messenger of Allah. They please you. And they are so convincing, so vociferous in their claims, so persistent, that to prove themselves, they swear oath upon oath, taking the name of Allah, and swearing and claiming that what they say about their sympathy for you, their love for you, their belief in you, all of this is true, and that they are not lying, but they are honest and truthful. They will swear in the name of Allah, swear oath upon oath. And that's what Allah says, وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ And he makes Allah witness over what's in his heart. And this is how the hypocrites were then and how they have always been and will always be. And this is one of the main traits of hypocrisy as we learned in the tafsir of Surah Al-Munafiqoon. Right at the beginning of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُنَافِقُونَ قَالُوا نَشْهَدُ نَشْهَدُ إِنَّكَ لَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ When the when the hypocrites come to you, again, O Messenger of Allah, when the hypocrites come to you, they say, Nashhadu Rasulullah, we testify that indeed you are most assuredly the Messenger of Allah. These words of mine, these various words of mine, aren't an embellishment or an emphasis on my part. They are actually a translation of every word and letter in this sentence. <coughs> when the hypocrites come to you, they say, Nashhad, we testify, we bear testimony. Innaka, that indeed you, verily you, la, this is known as lamu taqid, the lamb of emphasis. That indeed you are le most assuredly Rasulullah, the Messenger of Allah. And that's how they were. When they would come before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they would act, they would put on an act, a show. They would say whatever was required. They would swear any oath in the name of Allah. They would add emphasis upon emphasis. They would protest their innocence. They would be, they would try to be charming, convincing. In fact, they would try to be more honest than anyone else who's honest, more truthful than the truthful. Overdoing it, overcompensating. Because that's their nature. For them, truth, lies, words, Oaths, swearing in the name of Allah, all of this is equal. It makes no difference. What matters is the goal, the objective. If the objective is to please this person, say whatever is required. In Urdu, there's a phrase that at the time of necessity, when someone comes to speaking, So the phrase is Baap gade ko bhi baap bana leta hai Gade ko bhi baap bana leta hai 
which means that when a person comes to speaking and convincing and has to put on that charm and that show, he'll even make a donkey his dad. So, indeed, for a hypocrite, words don't matter. Words are meaningless. The truth is meaningless. What matters is the goal, the objective. And to achieve that objective, to arrive at that destination, everything is permissible and lawful. You can say and do what you want. And that's how they would be before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And this verse says exactly the same. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُعْجِبُكَ قَوْلُهُ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ That of the people there is one whose words, whose statement, whose speech pleases you, impresses you. And not only that, but he goes even further. وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ And he makes Allah a witness over what's in his heart. So, what lessons can we learn from this? One, a believer is honest in speech, in deed. A believer doesn't protest too much, doesn't protest their innocence too much. A believer doesn't have to speak too much. A believer doesn't, shouldn't feel it's necessary to convince the other person. And in, all, and in trying to convince the other person, be verbose and say anything, speak excessively, and swear in the name of Allah unnecessarily. This is not the character and habit of a believer. A believer is very cautious when it comes to the name of Allah. A believer does not take the name of Allah in vain. And we know very well that if someone is protesting their innocence too much, saying anything that's required, then normally that should make us wary. That is not the behaviour of a mu'min, of a believer. <coughs> this is how the munafiqun and the thing is, they, they are utterly charming and convincing. Because momentarily, they believe in their own lies. Momentarily. They actually believe in their own lies. One of the things about lies is that they actually concoct a story in their heads. So they make a story, they spin a yarn, a story in their heads, they, con they concoct a fiction in their heads. And then they actually follow that fiction. This is why they don't stumble, they don't stutter, they don't falter, they don't halt. The narrative is smooth and it's utterly convincing because they've actually hatched a plot and concocted a story in their heads. Momentarily, they know they are lying, but momentarily they believe they're lying. And they need to do it in order to convince the other person. In fact, 
One of the signs of the, well, it's not a sign, but one of the things about the hypocrites during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of course, not all of them, but the leaders, as Allah describes them, is in Surah Al-Munafiqoon, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? وَإِذَا رَأَيْتُهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَجْسَامُهُمْ وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ That when you see them, their bodies please you. وَإِنْ يَقُولُوا تَسْمَعْ لِقَوْلِهِمْ And if they speak, you listen to their words. They were eloquent, charming and convincing. And this is why in a hadith related by Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and by others, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, إِنَّ أَخْوَفَ مَا أَخَافُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي كُلَّ مُنَافِقٍ عَلِيمٍ لِسَانٍ Indeed, One of the greatest fears that I fear for my ummah is one of the greatest fears that I fear for my ummah is كل منافق عليم اللسان every munafiq, every hypocrite who is eloquent of tongue learned of tongue <coughs> they can be very argumentative and persuasive very pushy and persistent. People often just capitulate and surrender and give in. And this is why Allah ends a verse with the words, وَيُشْهِدُ اللَّهُ عَلَى مَا فِي قَلْبِهِ He makes Allah a witness over what's in his heart. وَهُوَ أَلَدُّ الْخِصَامِ And he is the most contentious, the most vehement of the opponents of the adversaries. He is the most quarrelsome of those who argue. This is the meaning of aladdul khisam. The most argumentative of the arguers. The most quarrelsome of the quarrelers. The most vociferous and vehement of the opponents and the adversaries. <coughs> They never give up. They never give up. They will take it to the, till the end. They have to prove themselves right. That's when they are satisfied. Now, this is another lesson. So, one of the lessons we learn is that one, we shouldn't take Allah's name in vain. We shouldn't have to bring in Allah's name in every argument, in every dispute, in every conversation. We shouldn't feel pressed to try to convince the other person. But the greatest lesson is this ending of the verse, being quarrelsome, being argumentative, being pushy and persistent. in argument, is actually one of the traits of the munafiqun. And this is why in a hadith later by Imam Bukhari and others, Rasulullah Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna abghad al-rijali ilallahi al-aladdu al-khasim. Indeed, one of the most detested 
men, one of the most detested people in the sight of Allah, is al-aladdul khasim, the argumentative adversary, the quarrelsome quarreler. Same, similar words. Al-aladdul khisam, khisam is a jam'ah, the plural of khasm. So in the hadith, it's singular. In the Quran, it's plural, second word. But they both refer to the same thing. Al-aladdul khasim, an argumentative, quarrelsome, adversarial individual. So who is such a quarrelsome, adversarial, argumentative person? Someone who has to argue, who has to dispute, who has to resist, who has to say something, who has to pick a fight. And not, not necessarily a physical altercation, but just an argument. Someone who has to say something, pick a point, argue, quarrel, debate, make themselves known, interfere. Someone who can't remain silent, someone who refuses to accept and resists everything. Such a person by the testimony of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is one of the most detested in the sight of Allah. Such people are detested amongst creation. Who likes an argumentative person? Who does? Even the argumentative, quarrelsome people don't like argumentative, quarrelsome people. No one loves a person. No one likes a person. No one finds such a person tolerable. Who? Someone who is quarrelsome, argumentative, disputing, resisting in everything. Always picking a fight, picking an argument. Someone who has to say something. This is not the character, this is not the behaviour of a mu'min. This is the behaviour of a munafiq. Someone who has to always pick a fight. So one of the lessons we can learn is to observe silence. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, مَنْ كَانَ يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ لِيَسْمُقْ It's a long hadith. Whoever believes in Allah in the final day, then he should say something good, otherwise remain silent. One of the greatest lessons from the hadith of Rasulullah we should learn to do this, we should train ourselves and discipline ourselves to do to do it. Holding our silence, holding our peace, remaining quiet, only parting our lips if we have something good to say. If we don't have anything good to say, zipping our lips, shutting our mouth, 
sealing our lips, not saying a word. Whoever remains silent, he was saved. Uqbat ibn Amir radiyallahu an asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi and others. Man najah, O Messenger of Allah, what salvation? How can a person save himself? Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Amsik alayka lisanak. He said three things. Amsik alayka lisanak wal yisa'ka baytuk. Wabki ala khatiyatik. The second thing was, let your home confine you, remain at home. وَبْكِ عَلَىٰ خَطِيَّتِكَ And weep over your sin. But the first word was أَمْسِكْ عَلَيْكَ لِسَانَكَ أَمْسِكْ عَلَيْكَ لِسَانَكَ Hold your tongue. That's what we should do. That's, what we, that's one thing we can learn. Always having to speak, always having to say something. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a, was a very calm and silent individual. He spoke only when necessary. One of the most remarkable things about him, we can learn so much from him. I was mentioning to someone just recently, they were asking me about how a person should spend their day and night. In in broad, general terms. And one of the things I mentioned was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lived in tune with nature. After Isha, he would perform Isha salah. And his wives relate this, that he would go home. If there was a need for him to speak to his wives, his family, he would speak. Otherwise, without speaking, he would retire to bed. And he would fall asleep. SubhanAllah. He wouldn't even speak with his family after Isha. Unless there was a requirement, unless there was a necessity. And his wives actually use those words. That if there was a need for him to speak and converse with his family, he would. Otherwise, he wouldn't speak. Now look, I'm not saying that's good for you. To go home and not say a word. That was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and they were the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the mothers of the believers. But the point I'm making is, he was a man of very few words. He wouldn't say much. He would speak only when necessary. And even then, he wouldn't raise his voice. He was calm, collected, quiet, reserved, soft of speech, silent. One of very few select words. Soft of speech, selective of speech. And that is the sunnah. And how is this relevant to this discussion? When a person practices silence, observes reservation, 
and withholds their tongue as much as possible on different occasions, then, by their own training and discipline, when an awkward situation arises and there is a possibility of an argument, there is a possibility of a dispute, there is a possibility of being provoked, then even on such occasions their training comes in handy. They remain calm. They remain silent. They don't argue. They don't resist. A munafiq, at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and this is a trait of hypocrisy, what does a munafiq do? Argue, resist, is persistent, foul mouth, full mouth, always having to say something. He always wants the last word. Always wants the last word. That is not the character of a mu'min. This is why we have been encouraged not to argue with each other. Yes, arguments take place. It's natural. We should try to minimise them and minimise their impact. <coughs> Disputes are an everyday fact of life. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum argued with each other. But what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam taught is compromise, agreement. If every person sticks tenaciously to their position, where is the solution? Something has to give, someone has to give. In fact, it's related in the hadith that Ka'ab ibn Malik radiyallahu he had lent someone some money. Famous Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, where I've covered much about him in detail in the long hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, which I commented on, hadith of Ka'ab ibn Malik, the hadith of Ka'ab ibn Malik radiyallahu regarding the book, etc., which is available, so you can refer to that. So the same Ka'm ibn Malik radiyallahu once he had an argument, sorry, he had lent money to someone. And that person wasn't paying him back. So Ka'm ibn Malik radiyallahu and his debtor began arguing about this in the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And they were arguing so loudly that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa who was inside his house heard them, so he came out. He removed the partition and came out. And when he saw Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu and the other person, and he had heard their words, he knew they were arguing about a debt, an unpaid debt, that was owed to Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu What did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam do? Allahu Akbar. Straight away, he said to him, Ya Ka'b, O Ka'b. Shed half of the debt. Forgive half of the debt. And then he 
signalled with his hands. He said, shed, forgive, knock off half of the debt. And these were the Sahaba, عنهم, a moment before they were, he was arguing. And their voices were raised. Prophet ﷺ heard them when he came out and he said to him, Oh, Ka'ab, shed half of the debt. What was Ka'ab ibn Malik عنه's reply? Of course, Ya Rasulullah, straight away. As soon as he said, Yes, Ya Rasulullah, Prophet ﷺ said to the other person, Rise and pay him his debt. And the matter was resolved. Disputes are a fact of life. In fact, once a father and son disagreed about money during the time of the Prophet A father and son disagreed. So the son went to the Prophet And this is why the ulama have a discussion. One of the things to be learned from that hadith is, can a man take his father to court? Can a man take his father to court? And yes, he can. That's what the Sahabi did. He took his father to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because he went to the Prophet sallallahu to resolve the dispute that he had with his father. And he was over money. Of course, the father had given sadaqah. What had happened is that the father had appointed someone to distribute charity. So he gave it to him. That person went around distributing the charity. And he ended up giving it to his son, the donor's son. So when the father learned that the person I had given responsibility to distribute charity. Of course, he had given others, but he had also ended up giving it to my son inadvertently without realizing. So the father said to the son, this wasn't meant for you. So the son said, well, I need it. Father said, it wasn't meant for you. The son said, well, uh, it was given to me and I need it. Father said, no. So the son went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I was given this wealth in charity. I need it. I am dependent on it. I deserve it. But because my father was the original donor, he's refusing to accept that I should have it. So the Prophet summoned him. And he said to him, SubhanAllah, this is the way the Prophet resolved disputes. He heard the son. He heard what the son had to say. Many fathers, many parents come to the ulama. And they say, speak to my son. Speak to my <coughs> son. And the attitude isn't that we have a disagreement. Can you speak to my son? Listen to what he has to say. And then, if you can advise us. No. Speak to my son, please. 
And the idea is, you tell him what I want him to do and what I am telling you. And wallahi, often, not so much now, but especially in the past, it's like, parents would actually say to me, can you speak to my son? Fathers say, why? I want him to marry my niece, but he's refusing. So you talk some sense into him. Of course, I wouldn't say it, but my immediate thought was, well, who's going to talk sense to you? Marry my niece. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would listen, even to the children. So he heard what the son had to say, and look at how he resolved it. He said to the father, you gave with the intention of charity, and you have received your reward. You've received your reward. Your reward isn't impacted in any way. So you've received your reward. And he received it in good faith, and the wealth came to him, so let him keep it. He got what he needed, you got what you deserved, your reward. So even father and son fell out and had a disagreement when it came to wealth during the time of the Prophet wasallam. So our disagreements are a fact of life. Parents disagree with their children, siblings disagree, spouses, husbands and wives disagree. <coughs> Everyone disagrees. Islam doesn't say you can't disagree or fall into dispute with anyone. No. What Islam teaches us is that disagreements are a fact of life, disputes are a fact of life. You have to learn how to manage them, how to control them, and how not to misbehave in a disagreement, in an argument. The Prophet ﷺ had disagreements with his wives, and strong disagreements at times. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala detests argumentative, disputing, contentious, belligerent <coughs> individuals. Allah detests them. Those who always want to pick a fight. We need to learn not to argue. Even in a disagreement, things can be resolved. And this is why in that famous hadith, again related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others, from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhuma, the beginning is, There are four things which found in a person, which if found in a person, then he is a pure hypocrite. And if one of these traits is found in him, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he removes it. And then... What's the, four, what's the final trait that the Prophet ﷺ mentions? The fourth trait in this particular hadith. 
When he disputes, he sins. That's the trait of a munafiq. Even a mu'min disputes. Even a mu'min falls into disagreement. Even a mu'min ends up having an argument or a fallout with someone. That happens. But the mu'min, the believer, contains the disagreement. Manages it, contains it. That's the most important thing. If the disagreement is about money, the mu'min ensures that 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 disagreement remains between him and the other person and remains only about money. He doesn't extend this or extrapolate it to other things or to other people. He doesn't expect that because I have a disagreement with this individual, everyone else has to oppose him too. And anyone who's his friend is my enemy. My enemy's friend is my, is my enemy too. That's not the character of a mu'min. That's arrogance. A person thinks that I disagree with this person. I have a dispute with this individual. Right. Everyone else should make an enemy of him too. And if they don't, then I am hostile to them. That's the meaning of when he disputes, he sins. He doesn't contain the disagreement. He extends it to other people. And he extends it to other things beyond the original disagreement. So he takes it beyond wealth. He takes it to other things too. Subhanallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us in the Qur'an. That Allah did not hold even family members to account for the rebellion of their own family members. Nuh alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not hold him to account for his son or for his wife. Ibrahim alayhi salam, Allah did not hold him to account for his father Azar. Lut alayhi salam, Allah did not hold him to account for his wife. The wife of Pharaoh, Asiya, radiyallahu anha, Allah mentions her, though not by name in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not hold her to account for her husband's behavior. No one is responsible for another person's behavior. And no soul shall bear the sin and the burden of another soul. That's the law of Allah. Why should, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not hold father to account for the son, wife for the husband, husband for the wife, son for the father, then who are we to extend our disagreements, our conflicts and disputes to the whole family and to the whole generation and expect everyone to agree with us in our enmity and dispute with us? Subhanallah. We behave childishly, childishly. And the next thing you know, the two people who are disagreeing, 
They'll try to make everyone else their enemy too. And then, suddenly, they become friends again. When they become friends again, they don't bother trying to make everybody their friends. Now everyone else is the enemy. This is why one of the greatest problems ulama experience is marital disputes. Wallah. Husbands and wives argue. They go to an alim. I've experienced this throughout my life. He says, well, let me begin with her. She says he's a scum of the earth. The worst of all God's creation. I don't want to see his face. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with her. He's like this, he's like that, she's like this, she's like that. SubhanAllah. Now when people contact me, I rarely listen beyond the first few words. I just say, hold on. What do you want of me? What do you want of me? Because if you let them start, they could go on all day and all night. So I normally cut it short and I say, what do you want of me? How can I help you? Ask me a specific question and I'll answer. Ask me for specific advice and I'll give it to you if I can. And then, subhanAllah, you try to help, you try to advise. Another rule, and take it from me, I'm saying it for the record. <coughs> it has always been my policy, not of today and not of yesterday, but for decades, from the very beginning, and know this, repeat it if required, And take this from me for the record. I never, ever tell people what to do. Never. And there's a reason for that. I never tell people what to do. Ask me a question, I'll give you a reply if I can. From what the texts and the scriptures of Deen Islam say. say. If you say to me, should I do this? I should I divorce him? Should I divorce her? I never, ever tell people what to do. It's up to you. That's your choice. That's your decision. That's what you need to determine. No one else can make that choice for you. I'm not even going to guide you in any one direction. If you ask me what's, from my knowledge and experience, what normally happens, I can tell you that this normally happens. If you ask me what the hadith says, what the Qur'an says, what the ulama say, what the, what's, uh, what's, historical, what's historically been the norm, etc., 
I can maybe reply. <coughs> but as to what you should do, I never tell anyone. I never advise anyone. And yet, and yet, despite me never advising anyone what to do, the, this, often what happens is that the couple who are at each other's throats and who declare each other to be the scum of the earth and the worst of God's creation, next thing you know, they're back together again. And not only are they back together again, but what was I saying earlier, when those who are in dispute disagree with each other, they expect the whole world to join them in their disagreement and in their dispute and in their enmity. Yet when they get together again, that's it. Now it's them against the world. So often when couples get back together, not always, but often, especially the most contentious, argumentative ones, it's bizarre. How can they get together after all of that? But alhamdulillah. But then it's like, oh, we're finally together. That's good. What was all that about? Oh no, I never said that. I never did that. Oh, it's just a huge misunderstanding. It's other people. It's other people trying to drive us apart. It's Sheikh. He's the one. Subhanallah. Indeed, the most, one of the most detested people, of men, one of the most detested people in the sight of Allah is the argumentative, contentious, quarrelsome adversary. This is not the trait of a mu'min. This is a trait of a munafiq. Now, I'm not saying that anyone who does any of this becomes a munafiq. I've never said that. I've told you throughout this series of uh, hypocrisy that these are the traits of the original hypocrites. These are the traits of hypocrisy identified as such by Allah and His Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And undoubtedly, we have these weaknesses in us. But we, so the idea is to learn about them, to be wary of them, and to eradicate them from our character, just as the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said that if any one of these traits is in him, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he removes it. It doesn't make him a munafiq, but as I said on many occasions right at the beginning, that once these traits accumulate and become entrenched in a person, then initially it may just be hypocrisy in terms of mismatch between the exterior and the interior and one's words and one's deeds. But if they, if they accumulate and become entrenched, there is a great danger that a person may stray into that area whereby hypocrisy isn't just confined to hypocrisy of speech and a mismatch between speech and deed, but rather hypocrisy becomes true hypocrisy of the heart. Hypocrisy of faith. That's a danger. So being argumentative and quarrelsome is one of the traits of hypocrisy. This is not how a mu'min behaves. And 
disagreements are a fact of life. When a Mokmin disagrees, what does he or she do? A Mokmin confines the disagreement to the original disagreement. A Mokmin, a believer, doesn't extend that disagreement to other things with the same person or even to other people. That's a Mokmin. And a Mokmin seeks compromise. A Mokmin forgives. A Mokmin overlooks. A Mokmin doesn't, doesn't remain entrenched in their position, tenaciously holding on to what they believe is right. What does it achieve? I quote my father, he used to often say to me, and he used to cite Hazrat Mawlana Yusuf al-Kandilwi, the author of Hayat al-Sahaba and various other books. He's a great scholar. The Hazrat Mawlana Yusuf al-Kandilwi, his beautiful words were that in, with debate and discussion, a man is compelled to agree with you but he never becomes endeared to you. And if I was to give a literal translation, with argument, with debate, bahatsa, insan, meaning he accepts, but he never becomes inclined to you. That's what arguments achieve. I'm right, you wrong, fine. And then what? You've made yourself happy momentarily. You've given yourself a pat on the back. You feel smug and satis satisfied momentarily. What, what has it achieved? You've broken mirrors. You've smashed glass. You've burnt bridges. You've made people dislike you. You've made people resent you. Allah resents, Allah detests an argumentative, obdurate, obstinate, quarrelsome individual. And Allah is Allah. He is Allah. What do you think of creation? You argue. You fight your corner. You debate. You try to prove your point. You say whatever is required. And then, okay, you win. What have you achieved? Nothing. You feel you are right. You feel vindicated. You feel smug and satisfied. Momentarily, how long does that smugness, how long does that satisfaction last? How long does that inner glow last? very short one. And then, what have you done in the process? You've burnt bridges. If you're arguing with your wife, and you just stick to your point, and you have to be proven right, and you say whatever is required, fine, you might feel happy momentarily. What has it achieved? You've created resentment and bitterness 
in the hearts of your own spouse. You've burnt bridges. That's what arguments do. That's what disputes do. This is why the sunnah of Rasulullah was to forgive. In fact, subhanallah, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Ya ayyuhan nabiyyu lima tuharrimu ma ahallallahu lak tabtaghi mardata azwajik. Wallahu ghafoorur rahim. Qad faradallahu lakum tahillata aymanikum. Wallahu mawlakum wa huwa al-alim al-hakim. O prophets, why do you make haram upon yourself that which Allah has made halal for you? Tabtaghi mardata azwajik, seeking the pleasure of your wives. Even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, being who he was in his disagreements with his wives, he actually said to them, okay, okay. I won't do this anymore. I, he wasn't doing anything wrong. But to appease them, to placate them, to please them. To try and reduce the disagreements. To try and remove the quarrel. To try to win their hearts. Even the messenger of Allah said, okay, I won't do this anymore. And they needed a bit more convincing. So he said, I swear in the name of Allah, I won't do this anymore. I take an oath that I won't do this anymore. And that was the nature of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He wouldn't say anything himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would always protect him. So Allah revealed verses of the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ لِمَا تُحَرِّمُ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ لَكَ تَبْتَغِي مَرْضَاتَ أَزْوَاجِكَ O prophets, why do you make the haram upon yourself that which is Allah, uh, which Allah has made halal for you? تَبْتَغِي مَرْضَاتَ أَزْوَاجِكَ Whilst you are seeking the pleasure of your wives. You're trying to appease them, placate them, win them over. Then Allah said to him, قَدْ فَرَضَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ تَحِلَّةَ أَيْمَانِكُمْ Allah has made obligatory upon you the unraveling of your oath, the breaking of your oath. That you took an oath merely to please your wives. And in the process, you made haram for yourself that which Allah made halal. You cannot do that, O Messenger of Allah. You must break your oath. What does the verse show? That, that's the extent to which the Prophet ﷺ compromised. And if anyone seizes this and says, see, see, see what the Messenger of Allah did, then that in itself is wrong because that's exactly what we're arguing against. To try and argue your corner. Everyone's very good at knowing those verses and those ahadith which are in their favour. So the husband knows all those verses and ahadith, and the, wife's know, the wife knows her verses and ahadith. And then we are arguing with each other using verses of the Holy Qur'an and the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
That goes against the very spirit of the Quran and Hadith. Both should learn. And not, I'm not just talking about husband and wife. In every disagreement, this is the character of a mu'min. This is how Rasulullah was. This is how the Sahaba were overlooking, forgiving. Look at Ka'b ibn Malik. Okay, they argued. Prophet heard them arguing. Imagine this if, if someone owed us money and someone else then suggested, do you know what? Forgive him half. Forgive half of it. What would we do? Once I was speaking to someone, he called me, and he was telling me that, he was telling me about his marital problems. So he said, he was a bit older, so I had to show him a bit, a bit of respect. He was much, much older, older, my father's age. So he was telling me about historically, not now, but, oh, I had this problem, I had that problem. So he said, I told my brother, no, no, and he never told his brother. What happened is that he told his wife, I'm going to divorce you. That's it. I don't want you. I'm going to divorce you. So she tried to speak to other family members. And in the process, she spoke to his brother. So his brother rang him. Now he's telling me this. Now, why am I mentioning this to you is because I just said that if a third person comes and tells us, you drop half of the debt, what happens to us? When it is said to him, fear Allah, arrogance and sin seizes him. We become even more argumentative, more belligerent, more fiery. So if someone said to us, forgive half of the debt, we'd turn our cannons on him, saying, how dare you? So this just reminded me about this gentleman. He rang me. Oh, sorry, he never rang me. He rang me and said, I want to come and see you. So he came to see me. He was, he was my father's age. So then he was telling me about his historical problems. So he said, I told my wife I'm going to divorce you. So she spoke to my brother. So my brother rang me. So his bro- why did his brother ring, again the third person, to try and bring about some reconciliation between them? So his brother said to him, his own brother, he said to him, Bay, you know, she's a good woman, mashallah, well, why don't you keep her? So he's telling me, he said, do you know what I said to her, him? I said, if you think she's so good, you marry her. <laughs> he actually said that, he said, his brother rang him and said, she's a good woman, keep her. And he said, if you think she's so good, you marry her. That's what happens. In anger, that's what happens. So the Sahaba, look what Ka'b ibn Malik did. Prophet came out and he said, Ya Ka'b, oh Ka'b, drop half of the debt. Forgive half of the debt. Ka'b ibn Malik said, of course, Ya Rasul. Allah hates an argumentative, quarrelsome individual. This is a trait of a munafiq, not that of a mu'min. I'll end here. We just did one verse, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
ومن الناس من يعجبك قوله في الحياة الدنيا ويشهد الله على ما في قلبه وهو ألد الخصام And there are of the people those whose words please you And he makes Allah a witness over that which is in his heart Yet وهو ألد الخصام He is the most contentious and most argumentative of the quarrels May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand May Allah make us amongst those who are tolerant, forgiving, overlooking, who are accepting, accommodating. May Allah protect us from being amongst those who are always resisting, fighting, arguing, quarreling. Those who have to have the last word. Those who have to interject. Those who have to say something, those who have to prove their point, those who have to feel that they are proven right and vindicated. May Allah protect us from arguments and quarrels. And when we disagree, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the wisdom and the enlightenment to manage that disagreement in a good way without breaking bonds, without breaking ties, without inflaming the situation, without aggravating the situation, without burning our bridges. We have to learn to live with each other because we will need each other. This is one of the ills of modern society, one of the ills of modern living, that we feel that we are too independent. We don't need anyone. Traditionally, people knew that they needed each other. They depended on each other. And therefore, even the most selfish of people would realize that, do you know what? I have to tread carefully. I can't spoil things. Because one day, I will need this person. Like there used to be the sticker <laughs> I saw on a few occasions at the back of a car. Uh, I believe uh, they're not illegal anymore because they block the view. But in the olden days, when people used to put large stickers on the back of the on the back window, <laughs> so there was a sticker which said, "Treat your children kindly, because they will choose your retirement home." Teach your children kindly because they will choose your retirement home. So tread very carefully. So subhanAllah, the lesson in there, uh, I'm not saying it's valid, it shouldn't be. No parent should have to go into a retirement home. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. No parent should have to go into a retirement Children should look after their parents and serve them, just as Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have taught us. We are so ungrateful, so ungrateful. Our mothers and fathers who labored, struggled, and who did and who sacrificed so much 
so that we could be happy, we could be nourished, we could be fed, we could be protected, sheltered and clothed. All those years. And then when we were able to stand on our own feet, we then turn around and say, away with you. Old age is second childhood. So what Deen, what Islam teaches us, is that just as when we were needy, when we were children, and they looked after us as capable, strong adults, when they regress into the second childhood, and we grow into healthy, strong, able adults, then we should look after them in their childhood, second childhood just as they looked after us in our first childhood. Not dispatch them to a retirement home. I'm not saying it's haram if parents and family members agree and that's what the parents want. Then that's fine. But those who are shunted into retirement homes and shoved away and pushed out of their own homes and compelled, made to feel uncomfortable in their own homes, by their children and their sons-in-law and their daughters-in-law, then inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. That's a tragedy. So traditionally, people knew that they were dependent on others. They treated it despite their disagreement. Sometimes people would swallow their pride, tolerate some slight discomforts, because they saw the bigger picture. Even the selfish ones saw the bigger picture. And that in itself prevented them from arguing. Because they knew which side their bread was buttered. So may Allah make us amongst those who are wise and enlightened enough to manage their disagreements and not to extend them to other things with the same people or to other people. And may Allah protect us from being argumentative, quarrelsome and adversarial as the description of the hypocrites in these verses of the Qur'an. وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك شهد الله لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك